0: Well, I don't know what helps you correct the narrative in your life. And what I mean by that is there's so many voices. There's so many things that are maybe speaking into our value, our inadequacy, our regrets. Um, I don't know what you use to kind of correct stinking thinking. I don't know what helps center you and, and kind of grounds you. Uh, before I get into the, the teaching for tonight, I wanted to show you a video. A video of a young boy who's learned some of the truth and the promises of God. And this was such an encouragement and it was even a little humbling for me to watch this. Maybe some of you have seen this video as well. But let's just begin by saying, what is it that like helps you and reminds you of what the promises of God say about who He is and who we are in light of who He is.
1: Yeah. A. Ask I'm well being given to seek and you will find. B. Be kind when to the C. Cast your chaos on the D. Lord and He will sustain you. D. Do not be anxious about anything. E. Every good and perfect gift is from above. For it is, by grace, you have been saved through faith. G. God is our refuge, thanks, faith, and everything help hope and trouble. H. You alone is my walk and my salvation. I. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. J. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. Ever ever. K No that the Lord is God, it is He who made us. L Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. M. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. N. my faith is being short, but really hopeful. And certain, we do not see. O. O oh God, you're all my God. I see I seek you. P. Praise the Lord on my soul, on my utmost being. Praise his holy name. Q. A quiet, a quiet spirit is of great worth in God's sight. R. Rejoice and Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. S. The vision belongs to our God who sits on the throne. T. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. U. Under his wings, you'll find refuge. His swiftness will be your shield. B. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has the eternal life. W. We are born than conquerors through him who loved us. X. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y. You are the light of the world. Z. Zion hears and rejoices.
0: Excellent. Tonight, your kids are going to learn that. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> But the bar has been set for all of us. I like to call that the ABCs of God's truth. And so now, at this time, let's send our children to continue their worship with a blessing. So the kids are going to line up at the back with our teachers tonight. We have, uh, and and remember, we're trying to do our new call and response. Uh oh. We have bad kids leaving before. The, we've got runners. we got runners. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Okay. Now, with a hand outreach, we're just going to bless them and go. And we say together, the Lord bless you as you continue in your worship. And you guys say back. Yes. Thank you for that blessing, children. I tell you, every time it's like. The, the, the school bell at 3 o'clock on the last day of school trying to like, no, no, don't leave me, wait, wait, say it back. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, this is fun. Um, you know, uh, typically we think of there is always strength in numbers. That's kind of common um, economical thinking. We think, wow, the more the merrier, the bigger the better. But there's been some fascinating research, and part of it what struck me is, If you think about things like low voter turnout, I don't know why people don't go out and vote, of which I've been guilty of many, many times. In fact, part of what's got my thinking is the midterm elections are coming up beginning March 3rd. Early voting has begun. I have not voted. Uh, Others have. I see it on Facebook. Thank you very much. Yeah. uh, But... Um, I started thinking, what is it about some of our lack of motivation? I mean, local elections are some of the most uh, influential in terms of impacting us, and yet we sort of get kind of, it it gets put on the back burner. Well, this is this idea that there's been some research done uh, in a classic study, and there was an effect that they came up with, and they called it the social loafing effect. And what they did is they took a group of people and put them in small groups. And what they did with, with blindfolds on and 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 noise-canceling headphones on, they asked them to shout as loud as they could. And here's what they found, is that every time that they, they made less noise in groups as compared to when they shouted alone. And the idea was the mere perception that that you're in a group reduces one's motivation and effort. They called this the social loafing effect. Think about that. Well, my vote doesn't really matter. Well, I can't really make too much of a difference. And so we just sort of let ourselves get more complacent. We'll let other people maybe be more active, more loud, more opinionated, and so we tend to withdraw. Oh, I've got enough going on, I can't. think. To... And this isn't really about voting, it's about our level of engagement. And what they essentially concluded about this, this, this social loafing effect, what's the, it's that it's a feedback problem. It's that the larger an organization becomes, the harder it is to both measure credit and blame, maybe the less motivated or the more disconnected we really feel. I think this is one of the great problems of not just our American citizenship and our participation in the democratic way. I think this is a problem for the church and what we do with our faith. See, what's happened is that we've largely created a faith expression based on a passive response. I got myself to church. Now that's my expression. Except you and I both know that helps. That's like ground zero. That's a good starting point, but for faith to really become transformational, for faith to really be impactful, it's often because of the relationships and the actual doing of the work of the ministry. How many would say, I've learned the most from my successes? (laughs) You and I both know that really the great teacher is struggle, is failure, is suffering. Those are the lessons that are hard learned, but they're the most transformational. And so one of my great concerns and one of the the, most kind of motivating observations I've made as as sort of a a professional Christian, if you will, I've I've, I've sat and worked in large churches for over 20 years, is that people are allowed to come in and be anonymous. And here's what happens. We lack a kind of an accountability. We uh, we, We don't take the same responsibility as if it was completely up to us. This is the social loafing effect that we sort of dwindle in group. And so one of my fears is that we would sit here tonight and be unknown and be detached, to not be more fully engaged because the work that, uh, the, that faith wants to do in our life is to be more transformational, but it happens with engagement. And so one of the rhythms that I wanna talk about in this Lenten season is our rhythm of renewal. That is, and this is how I would simply define spiritual maturity, is a growing awareness of the presence of God. And by the way, that doesn't always feel like a big goosebump. The idea that we have a heart that's growing more sensitive to God's interruptions, God's prompts, God's leading to either turn this way Or turn towards this way. To turn away or to return to the voice of the one who loves us. It's calling out in the desert of the circumstances in our lives saying, come to me. Hear me. And so that's what the rhythm of renewal gets at. Um, And so growing up uh, or growing one's faith often becomes a process Um, of growing maybe more responsive maybe more intimate with God and I was reading about this comparison and the person's asked the question have you ever thought of the difference between a hospital and a health club because presumably both are geared towards growing our health but if you think about a hospital it's more reactive something's wrong and we've got to fix it and a health club is presumably less reactive but more proactive so if you think about those two models I would say the church has to have a ministry strategy for both so sometimes people come walking in um, and 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 they're just looking around but they just they just want to hear about God other of other people come in and they're trying to hear from God some people come and, and the jury's still out. Some of you know people who are really spiritually minded but haven't made it necessarily a profession of faith, a commitment to say I do to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've all got all kinds of spiritual questions. I think the church needs to make room for those But similarly, I think there's other people that are trying to hear from God about a deeper experience with God, about something that feels maybe more transformational. And I've been going to church my whole life, but I'm looking for something hmm, deeper. And to which I would say, one of the things we're experimenting on is simply love thy neighbor as thyself. Because I think that's theologically deep and personally pretty uncomfortable. But at the end game is growth. So I like those two pictures. We're trying to develop a ministry strategy that satisfies both as a hospital on a reactive side and people come limping in and on a, maybe a health club side where it's proactive and we're looking to grow people or train them into a stronger living more dynamic faith. I think healthy churches need to do both but my observation is, is one, a, a church usually does more of one than the other. We're all about going deeper and studying God's word, or we're just an on ramp that wants to expose and, and, and kind of attract people. And I'm saying, can we do the unthinkable and do both? I hope so. Welcome to the experiment that is Mission Hills Church. Um, and welcome to this series called, uh, that is going through Lent, and we've called it Not My Own, because these are these reoccurring words of Jesus throughout the Gospels, where he has this self-deflecting phrase, and I think this is a great phrase for us to frame in what Lent is all about. It's very tempting to take our really educated and affluent and comfortable lives and say, God, would you help me? Would you bless me? But what really the Gospel message, the real good news, is when we learn in some uncomfortable way to empty ourselves, so that we can make room for more of God so in some ways we need to die to ourself before we can experience the new life it's like filling a cup that's already full and it's just going to overflow but what we want to do is fill it with more of God so this not my own Jesus comes and he uses this several times sometimes it's these are not my words This is not my teaching. This is not my authority. Well, tonight I want to look at a phrase in the garden. This is in kind of the waning moments of his life. He's within just like a, a, a short window of losing his life. He's kind of rallied the troops, those closest to him, and he makes an appeal to them, and then he goes to the Father in heaven. And he says these words in Luke 22. He says, Jesus went as usual, which I love, Regardless of how good or bad circumstances were, Jesus went as usual to the the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation, which is a nice way of saying, I'm pretty sure you guys are not paying attention. You'll probably fall asleep. You'll get distracted. But pray for what I would say is a growing awareness of the presence of God. Can your hearts be more sensitive to God's leading? And then he says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt, and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he knew what was to come, It was not his first choice, but it was God's best choice. And he said yes, despite the fleshly desire to avoid any more pain, any more discomfort. And he gave himself willingly to torture the cross to death. And he prayed, not my will, but yours. Now, one of the most transformational experiences, encounters that we can have is those not my will moments. But the problem is this, I prefer my way. I like getting my way. Um, One out of one times, I always like to get my way. It's just this, like it's like as constant as gravity. I just prefer my own way and to make it worse, I'm a consumer by nature. And so I like to look out for my own needs. Because if I don't, who will? Except God. And God knows my needs better than I know my needs. And so he invites us to say, with him, this isn't just Jesus' prayer. This is an example for us to say, not my will, but yours. Can I know your will a little bit better? Because I know mine, not my will, but yours. I think this is like the quintessential perfect Lenten prayer that we can offer in fact I've gotten to the point with young couples that I'll meet with um, you know uh, for a long time I'll I'll do some premarital counseling for for years and um, but I've gotten lately over the last several years to, to suggesting to every newlywed couple you know, we'll talk about family of origin, we'll talk about communication patterns, we'll talk about maybe um, who's the saver and who's the spender. And, you know, you, you try and kind of unearth some of the things that you're going to face in marriage. Um, but then I get to a point and I ask the question, do you have something to give yourselves to besides you? In other words, do you have a ministry together? And the reason I suggest this as really important is because if we don't have something that we can stand shoulder to shoulder and serve without necessarily immediate reward or even instant gratification or benefit, but something that we just can give ourselves to, what it does is it lays the foundation for marriage that says, our home is not the center of our life. Our marriage is not the center of our life. And eventually, our family is not the center of our life. It might be the priority, which it should, but it should never be the center. And so what I encourage couples to think about is how can you give yourself together in ministry to something beyond yourself because I don't believe your life, your marriage, your family was supposed to be the center of your life if we're, our lives are new in Christ, I need regular disciplined reminders, things that interrupt me to say, oh yeah, I said yes to this, oh yeah, I committed to this, if I don't show up to this, it'll fall apart, or um, it it won't happen, or if I don't help invite people or organize, this is work, and yet it reminds me that My life is not my own. Not my will, but yours be done. And it feels like a spiritual workout, and I start to feel the burn and I want to put it down, except God, through His Holy Spirit, is calling me to one more rep. I got this. Not my will, but yours. And I'm with you. The other thing, and this is why I showed the video earlier, is I'll often ask people, is there something that interrupts your stinking thinking? Do you have something that reminds you of God's truth, God's word, God's promises, God's hope? Otherwise, we're left to just hear the, 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 the consistent thread of, of accusation, of blame, of bias, of all of the world's messages and it and it makes me feel less grounded and it makes me feel less hopeful as if this is the world that God intended and you have heard me say enough times this is the world that God created but we're not living in the world that God actually intended and the only thing that does that for me is God's Word so the question is, is what is your diet your spiritual diet for God's word becoming living in your life. Now, I'll be honest, (laughs) I try and read God's word and I try and have uh, almost daily and I try and just have some kind of devotional practice but sometimes God's word feels about as bland as a bowl of oatmeal that has no flavor and you're like, this feels like mush. Other times it feels like a 12 hour smoked brisket with a thick seasoned bark on it and you're like, oh this is so good Uh, maybe we should do barbecue after dinner after church tonight Uh, that just sounded really good to me Uh, but the idea is um, growing up my mom she was a wonderful housemaker she was a great cook I can't name a signature dish that she ever made or one meal that stands out all I know is I was well fed And if you ask me, what did you read on Wednesday this week? What did you read on Thursday morning over your fruit and granola and cup of coffee? I go, I don't know. Don't remember. Except that I know that I was well fed and I was in the word and I had some time to pray and God was bringing you to my mind. Some of you got a text from me for this week. Some of you got an email from me this week. Some of you got prayers from me that you don't even know about, but all I'm saying is there was a chance to be interrupted uh, and and all of the other things that I think um, dominate uh, our thought. And so uh, this is what it means for the renewing of of our mind. And so uh, the goal again of renewal isn't necessarily a spiritual high. It's not even necessarily inspiration. The goal of our rhythm of renewal is that we would have a growing awareness of the presence of God, even if that awareness feels like conviction. Even if that growing awareness, that sensitivity feels like an interruption. It's God calling us to himself. And what we think when we renew is what is God saying? What do I do? And in some cases, we're supposed to turn away. And in other times, we're supposed to turn toward. The the discipline is learning to figure out what God is saying and when and respond. That's what I think renewal is about, is reconditioning a calloused heart, reconditioned, a, a guarded heart. And so, let me just say this. What if, instead of just teaching this passage we prayed this passage to sense his will. What I would like to do tonight, and maybe some of you have a little outline and you just want to jot a note, maybe the best thing you could do is just sit. I want to do something that um, about 400 years ago, St. Ignatius created this daily prayer of examine, because I think we largely live with unexamined lives. I think we tend to carry our guilt and our shame on too long and we don't know what to do with it. And it comes out in, in sometimes subtle and not so subtle ways. But I would like, and I think it's fitting for Lent, to just go through kind of a, a series of prayer of examination. And what he was really trying to do is this prayerful reflection on the events of our day. And each day that we could recalibrate our day and try and have a, a discerning or, or be able to detect God's spirit in it, because it's not that God drifted, it's not that God checked out, it's just that I think we get so busy, we get so anxious, we get so distracted, we get so hungry, we get so angry, that we miss the subtleties of the leading of the Holy Spirit, so here's what I want to do, I want to spend like the next eight minutes leading you through kind of a discerning prayer, where you get to take some kind of Spiritual inventory. So if you would, and maybe you just have something to jot a note, an impression, a word, or just sit there quietly, and let me just pray with you. Just bow your heads with me. In ancient times, people would give up things uh, during Lent, n- not only to live healthier lives, but they prepare themselves spiritually for Easter because that, that represented new life. But it also was for another reason. It was to be mindful of those in need. And the idea was that if you maybe spent less money on things like meat or alcohol or desserts, you could give to what you saved for those who need it. That's why fasting and compassion and prayer, three pillars of Lent, are so connected. So as we pray and think about the ways that God is at work in your life, ask yourself another question. How is what I'm... Doing, helping people whose needs are different than my own. The first thing I would suggest is just to become aware of God's presence and maybe pick a day. Maybe it's today. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe there was sort of one day that stands out to you this week, but pick one day just in the company of the Holy Spirit. Don't argue with it. Just go with it. If it helps, just pick one day, maybe the most memorable. The day or circumstances may seem confusing. Maybe it was a blur. But but somehow it's sticking out as memorable. Again. Now begin to walk through the day with gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. Walk through your day in the presence of God and simply make a note or or a mental note of its joys and delights. Focus on the day's gifts. Look at the work you did, the people you interacted with. Waking up, Getting ready, your thoughts, breakfast, your first meeting, need to be somewhere, what your morning was doing, who you met with for lunch, how you spent the lunch hour, meetings, appointments, sitting behind your computer, commuting. What? Review the day with gratitude. you receive from people? What did you give them? It's all a gift. Be reminded of small things. The food you ate, the sights you saw, and other seemingly small pleasures. God is in the details. Let your analytical heart become grateful. Let it be moved with gratitude. Pay attention to your emotions. One of St. Ignatius's great insights was that we would somehow detect the presence of the Spirit of God Emotions, boredom, excitement, resentment, compassion, confidence, nervous condescension, inadequacy. What moved you? And what is God saying in those feelings? God will likely show you some ways you might have felt short. Simply make note of these faults, but look for other implications. Does a feeling of frustration maybe mean that God wants you to consider a new direction in some area of your work? Are you concerned about a friend? Perhaps you should reach out way. Choose one feature of the day and pray from it. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you to something during the day that God thinks is particularly important. It may involve a feeling, either positive or negative. It may be a significant encounter with a person or some vivid moment of pleasure or peace, or maybe something that seems rather insignificant. the prayer to arise spontaneously from your heart, whether it's praise or confession or whether it's gratitude or whether it's intercession. Now ask God to give you light for tomorrow's challenges. How do you feel about tomorrow? Pay attention to the feelings that surface as you survey what's coming up. doubtful are you cheerful are you apprehensive are you apathetic allow these feelings to turn into a prayer seek God's guidance ask for help understanding pray for hope Ignatius, encourage people to talk to Jesus like a friend. End the conversation with Jesus. Ask for forgiveness for your sins. Ask for his protection and help. Ask for his wisdom about the questions you have and the problems you face. Do this in a spirit of gratitude. Your life is a gift and is adorned with the gifts from God. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. I pray and trust that it's active and dwelling in our hearts in our minds. I believe this is only at the beginning, but I I believe that you want to give us these kind of prompts. So I pray for a, a reconditioning, a resensitivity, that we might sense your leading, your guidance, your love, your joy. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation, we pray.